0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind,
0: listener mail. This is Robert Lamb, and this is Joe McCormick, and I think maybe we should jump right in with a response to an older episode of ours about the uh, the Bone Palace Vault episode. Are you ready, Rob? I'm ready. Okay, this comes to us from Megan. Megan says, Hey, Joe and Robert had a couple of natural history notes to add to your Bone Palace episodes. Uh, I remember I think there was a, a, a string of things we talked about in those episodes about uh, creatures other than humans making dwellings out of the remains of other animals. Mm hmm. Megan writes, another cool creature that may camouflage itself with the body parts of other invertebrates is the green lacewing larva. You can see them trundling about on tree trunks under tiny lichen festooned huts. They voraciously consume other insects, and they may incorporate the body parts of their prey, such as aphids, within their camouflage. This is especially useful as a disguise to fool ants, which tend and defend sap-sucking aphids for their honeydew. Also, carrier snails, from the family Xenophoridae, meaning foreigner-carrying, attach bits of coral, rock, sponges, and other smaller shells into the delicate white whorls of their own growing shells. They can be very elegant, with the long spires of other shells protruding at regular intervals like a sunburst, or look like crazy marine garbage heaps, depending on the species and its preferred masonry. The added bits provide some camouflage and protection from predators, stability on the seafloor, and also save them on the energy and material cost of having to grow their entire shells. Thanks, guys. You supply me with moments in critical thinking in times when I'm otherwise short on it, driving, kid-tending, etc. Best, Megan.
1: Excellent. Well, these are both great specimens. Thanks for, for sharing these with us, Megan.
0: At least one of these seems kind of familiar. So I'm wondering if we maybe researched it but didn't mention it in the episode or mentioned it it's only briefly. It's possible. I don't know.
1: Sometimes stuff falls through the cracks like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, now we got a number of responses to our pair of episodes about furry fish, and these were, were great fun.
1: Yeah, the first one comes to us from Kelly. She says, Hi, both. I was delighted to hear you mention in your second episode on furry fish, the gloriously fluffy hoax fish at the National Museum of Scotland. As a child, I remember for the first time seeing this fish on show. Since then, I've always made a point of trying to find it whenever I go in. It is Scotland's own abominable snow trout. (laughs) Your discussion of fish people and otters uh, got me thinking about Celtic Norse myths, of the selkie, a mer person that takes on the form of a seal, uh, which was a widespread folk uh, tale in the north and in the islands. The story I remember reading when was when I was very young was that of the selkie wife. I think there are plenty of variations on the theme, but the basic premise is that a fisherman falls in love with a selkie woman in human form. But he steals her selkie-slash-seal skin, preventing her from taking seal form, and locks the skin in a kist or chest, keeping her imprisoned on the land. Eventually, she manages to take back the skin, escapes to the sea, transforms back into a seal, and escapes. A more recent sculptural interpretation at the Helix Park in Falkirk called the Selkies presents them in the form of the giant rearing heads of shire horses— I think this is uh, part of a reference to the foam-tipped breaking waves of the sea being referred to as white horses, as well as a link to the horses which would have pulled barges along the canals uh, along uh, which the park was built. They are quite spectacular and worth a quick image search if you have a few minutes. Thanks for the many hours of fun and enlightening discussion. I come away from every episode with
0: some new interesting facts or ideas to think about. All the best, Kelly. Now, I tried to Google the Selkies uh, Helix Park, and the only thing – I came across what I think you're talking about, but this says they're called the Kelpies instead of the Selkies, which I know are both things. So you, you may have just had a typo in your email there.
1: Either way, the the Selkies are are certainly fascinating. Uh, Selkies and and Kelpies, I've been reading about them for for ages, you know, because they pop up in Dungeons and Dragons and mythology textbooks, uh, Mm -hmm. monster uh, compendiums of all sorts. I I also have to point out there's a wonderful 2014 Irish animated film called Song of the Sea, which deals with this territory. I highly recommend that. It's a a beautiful film.
0: Hmm. All right. This next message about the furry fish comes from Alex. Alex says, hello, I love your show, but I've never had a good reason to send you mail until today. In your The Fish Had Fur episode, you mentioned the singing bass fish, Billy Bass. (laughs) (laughs) The singing bass fish. Wow. Uh, I had one of these growing up, so I started looking for it in my basement, hoping I still had it. I didn't. But... I experienced a bit of serendipity while scrolling TikTok after I gave up the hunt. I stumbled across an artist by the name of Kevin Heckert. They are an interactive artist that has created a Billy Bass that somehow interacts with Amazon Alexa. It is amazing. (laughs) It sings any song you ask it to. Please look it up. It will make your day watching Billy singing all of the hits. Oh, wow. Uh, That's it. Thanks for making such an entertaining podcast. Uh, P.S. I really miss the constant flow of invention. That's how I found you guys. Thanks for reading, Alex. Oh, well, well thank you, Alex. Uh, yeah, thanks. I, I hope we keep, I don't know, we, we will still continue doing invention episodes from time to time. I'm sorry we, we can't do them every week now. Um, I mean,
1: maybe at some point we'll just lose it and start doing invention episodes, uh, like back to back,
0: for sure. at least for a little bit. You never know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I looked this up. I'm not familiar with this, uh, this person, but I, I looked up the TikTok you were talking about and yeah, it looks like someone has, uh, sort of hacked a Billy bass to, to be the interface for Amazon Alexa. So at least if what is being alleged by this video is correct and there's no trickery involved, you can say to the big mouth, Billy bass, uh, Hey, Alexa play whatever. And you know, uh, Play Four Horsemen by Metallica, and then the ba- the bass will turn and say, okay, and it will sing along with the song. It'll do the mouth.
1: <laughs> All right, here's another one. This one comes to us from Calvin. Subject, Big Mouth Billy Bass. Hello. The one in the town I grew up in played Don't Worry, Be Happy. As kids, we were absolutely obsessed with this thing. The poor shop owner must have heard that fish hundreds of times. Thanks for the show,
0: Calvin. I got to be honest. When I first read this email, I laughed out loud thinking about the town Billy Bass. It's like the town well or
1: it reminded me of New York movies, uh, older New York movies, where there'll be TVs and shop windows and there'll be people mm-hmm. gathered around to watch the TVs. Yeah. Except in this case, it's the Billy Bass singing Don't Worry, Be Happy. Bobby McFerrin. Yeah, yeah, great too. All right. We also heard uh, back from our listener, Shay, in regards to the Tomato Vault episodes. He writes Dear Robin Joe, I'm lovingly teased by my friends and my wife for my podcast problem, as I spend every available moment driving, housework, walking the beast, listening, uh, and your work is my favorite. I was listening to the second Vault episode about tomatoes this morning as I made my wife and my favorite vegan beverage, an oat milk latte. If you haven't tried Oatly yet, Rob, you've got to give it a go. I, I, do, I do love oat milk. Uh, it's, it's quite good. Uh, mm-hmm. When Joe suggested that the fruit from the Garden of Eden may have been a tomato, quickly, you both accept the improbability of this since tomatoes are native to the Americas, and the authors of the Bible would not have been familiar with them. However, considering the importance of the LDS Church, and in this, um, Shea is referring, uh, of, of course, to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, uh, considering the importance of the LDS Church to the later acceptance of tomatoes in the U.S., I want to offer a sliver of hope to your theory. Uh, they conti- uh, he continues, In LDS lore, it is said that the Garden of Eden was, in fact, in the Americas, specifically in Jackson County, Missouri. Now, that's more than a hop, skip, and uh, jump away from South and Central America, but Mormon beliefs are central to stories of ancient American peoples traveling across these continents. While there is, of course, no scientific evidence that I'm aware of supporting any of this, it is interesting to look at the pattern of tomato development and apply it to a story here. Imagine a cultivated tomato of knowledge being taken and or naturally adapting and spreading to be the current like tomatoes of South America where they are again selected, cultivated, and spread north, then grow wild and small again before finally being rediscovered and becoming the tomatoes of today. I'm certain plot holes abound, but what fun. Shay, from the Rocky Mountains. Uh, And they add a PS. Uh, In a recent listener mail, you mentioned how delicious a tomato mayo sandwich can be, and I can't resist suggesting you try a pickle and mayo sandwich, one of my guilty pleasures.
0: Hmm, interesting.
1: Ooh, I'm I'm up to try. I wonder what kind of pickle would be best. Do you want to go, do you go bread and butter pickle on that? Do you go... Uh, with a more sour variety, you go with a spicy pickle.
0: So many possibilities. Uh, I'm very partial to half-sour pickles myself. Okay. That fresh cucumbery flavor. Yeah, yeah. Now, I wanted to look this up to make sure that this is actually a belief uh, among the Latter-day Saints. And I think what I discovered, I didn't have a lot of time to look into this, but what it looked like to me um, is that the belief that the Garden of Eden was in Jackson County, Missouri, or was definitely in Missouri, uh, is not something that is written in the Book of Mormon but I believe it is something that is alleged to have been said by Brigham young and and that Brigham Young said Joseph Smith told him this so I don 't know how exactly that relates to to its doctrinal status uh, among the beliefs of the church but uh but yeah I- interesting nonetheless <laughs> Okay, anyway, uh, are you ready to move on to some emails about Weird House Cinema? Let's do it. Okay, this first one comes from Eric, uh, and I want to include this email because it has some great stuff in it, but uh, Eric, I think you you made a few typos that I couldn't quite figure out. Uh, I don't know if there was like some accidental formatting changes or something, so I'm going to sort of skip or summarize a few paragraphs here, but – Eric says, good morning, gentlemen. I just listened to this week's listener mail in which you spend a few moments pondering who should potentially portray Tom Bombadil in a future Lord of the Rings movie. And then uh, Eric says his first thought was Charles Durning. Interesting huh. idea. Okay. So he says uh, it's it's difficult to imagine Mr. Durning as embodying a threat. I don't know. I, I think about the sting at least.
1: Yeah, yeah. He can be quite threatening in A Brother Where Art Thou, at least uh, when he wants to be, but he can also turn on the charm.
0: That's true. Um, and Eric says he can sing, uh, and he gives as evidence the uh, the movie The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. which That's a Dolly Parton movie, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I believe so. He also sings in uh, Brother Where Art Thou. Oh, yeah. And dances. Uh, he, is a, he is a talented dancer. A lot of people don't realize that.
0: And then after this, uh, Eric says, I think he's suggesting that his dog recommended someone to him. Uh I I jokingly, I assume. And anyway, that person is Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel is Tom Bombadil. What do you think? Okay. So mm-hmm. so Eric says, uh, you know, Tom Bombadil, some people might think of him as kind of a, a nature-loving, quintessential old hippie. Uh, But Eric writes, quote, Bombadil is clearly at least a demigod, and he's a very powerful being. While he's by preference good-natured, he could be quite capable of violence, even if at some remove. And one would assume anger, or at least implacability, if that's a word. And Eric says, uh, might have to dub in the singing, though. (laughs) To the contrary, Eric, Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. Vin Diesel has albums. He he is a professional singer. Uh, in addition to being an actor. So, uh, so you know, he, he may be living life a quarter mile at a time, but at least one of those quarter miles has involved going into the studio and laying down some sensitive emotional pop tracks.
1: Yeah, you sent me a link to this, and I listened to it. And I have to say, it's it's not terrible. It's not necessarily my thing, but it's, it's, it's nothing that would offend me if I heard it in a commercial or in a, a waiting room somewhere. Um, I wouldn't say that it just screams Tom Bombadil to me, but... <laughs> I I accepted his proof of of Vin Diesel's musical chops.
0: I would say it's not my style of music, but I'm impressed by Vin Diesel's potential as a singer. I almost, I was immediately thinking, like, oh, does he do cameo? Could we, how much would it cost to send him like the Rob Inglis songs and see if he (laughs) can just, you know, perform them, see what it sounds like?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's not going to happen, sadly. <laughs> at least not now, maybe later, maybe later in his career. But for now, uh, Vin, Vin doesn't need the cameo bucks. Uh,
0: but also, Eric floats the idea of uh, of Wayne the Stone, John's man, as a, as a possible. Oh,
1: oh, The Rock. Um, yeah. yeah, The Rock certainly is charismatic, and, and I think he can sort of sing at least, but uh, but again, I don't, I don't know if this is the direction for my vision of, of Tom Bombadil. I don't know. It's such a difficult part to potentially cast. There were some fun discussions about this in the, the Facebook group for Stuff to Blow Your Mind, the Stuff to Blow Your Mind discussion module. I think we even did a little poll. Uh, there were some, some fun and some absurd suggestions on there. I also, I think, at the same time that was going on, I was watching Hamilton for the first time. So I was also thinking of the various actors in Hamilton. I was thinking, oh, oh. they could be a Tom Bombadil. Oh, he could be a Tom Bombadil as well. A lot of Tom Bombadil. Strange, yeah, okay, yeah. Especially <laughs> if you, you know, no, you have to remember in 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 the book, The Lord of the Rings and Fellowship of the Rings. Um, it's not said that these are necessary. I mean, we don't have music; we just have the lyrics. They could be rapped. It's, oh, that's impossible. true. Okay. Maybe they even need to be wrapped. I don't know.
0: Well, I just don't know if any of those actors are like old and rotund enough. I, I, I picture somebody who's got to be like over 50 and kind of round. Yeah. Well, we're playing the long game here.
1: Okay. So give it time. Uh, we, we just have some p- potential uh, Tom Bombadil. So we just have to keep an eye on and see how they develop, how they mature. Yeah.
0: I, of course, I realized this would also exclude uh, Vin Diesel and, and, uh, and Rock the Dwayne, obviously.
1: Yeah. In their current forms. You never know. You never know. All right. We also heard from listeners regarding our Weird House Cinema episodes on Psychomania. This one comes to us from Don. Guys, so glad you picked this film. I saw this as a young kid in the 70s, and the image of the undead bikers turning to stone at the end was both frightening and super sad. I don't remember much else about the rest of the film, but that final scene has stuck with me for decades. Thanks for bringing the rest of the movie back to me. We'll try to track it down. All the best, Don.
0: I'm curious why it's sad. It seems like these horrible people, these horrible trolls are finally turned to stone. Well, I mean, they, especially if you watched it as a young person,
1: it's, you know, these young people are, you know, they're going to live forever. They're going to do things their way. And then they're shut down by old people magic at the end. Uh, It's kind of sad. It's, I, I can, I can definitely dig that interpretation.
0: The end of the movie, once again, to reiterate is mom comes in and stops the roughhousing.
1: Yes, basically via occult paperwork.
0: Yes, yeah. Uh, This next message is from Maggie, also about Psychomania, or the subject actually uses the alternate title as just Death Wheelers. Maggie says... Great Weird House Cinema episode, guys. I remember seeing this movie about 10 years ago at an all-night secret horror movie marathon in Philadelphia, and this movie was a huge hit for that audience. I'm talking popcorn in the air, cheering and hollering, particularly every time one of the bikers rocketed from the grave upright on their motorcycle. A perfect trash movie indeed. My friend and I thought the lead biker Tom had more than a passing resemblance to Noel Fielding from The Mighty Boosh, and that lent the movie a whole other absurd dimension in which to enjoy it. Love the pod and appreciate all the work you guys put into it, Maggie.
1: That's a good point. I think when I was watching it too, I was getting some some mild hints of Noel Fielding. The hair uh, with our main yeah. character. Yeah. The hair, kind of the you know, the long face. Uh yeah. I wonder what it would have been like had the Mighty Boosh done some sort of a like a proper psychomania inspired uh, tale. I think there
0: there would have been room for them to explore some absurd ideas there. Oh my God, yes, they could have done a really good undead biker along mm. along the, the the hitchhiker lines. I guess. Yeah. All right, this last pair of messages comes from Lorenzo and in, this is in response to us talking about the the weird thing that's in a lot of uh Italian horror movies from the 70s and 80s where there are scenes of heightened suspense and then the soundtrack gets it, it starts playing music that feels incongruous with the mounting suspense. It's playing like funky, you know, funky jazzy like cool music, not scary music. Anyway, so we were talking about that and Lorenzo says, hi, Joe, Rob, big fan of your show. Keep them coming. Joe, twice you commented on Weird House Cinema asking why the upbeat synths in violent sequences and Rob, you rationalize that it's a culturally based counterpoint to the tension, Uh, right? So you were talking about maybe it's just some kind of difference between how like Italian audiences versus American audiences would regard the, the connotations of disco music maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Lorenzo says, while the synth work of Goblin and Co. is awesome, for the action sequences, those guys just stepped aside. Similar samples were pasted over all sorts of genre films in Italy when I was a kid, including overdubs of westerns and manga. So generally, it's a shortfall on soundtracking in those sequences. I'd rather have John Carpenter do my truculent ambient, to be honest. It's a fail for our movies any way you look at it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. So Lorenzo is just dissing some of the soundtrack choices of of some of these Italian horror films. Uh, if I'm understanding, I, I hope I'm not misunderstanding, but I think Lorenzo is saying like, you know, sometimes they just didn't know what to put in there, didn't have much of a budget and just subbed in some kind of track they had a, in a library or had the rights to or something.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I could imagine that potentially being the case but on the other hand a lot of wonderful things come out of accidents and shortcuts oh, yeah, yeah. in yeah. filmmaking and so uh, you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount it just because uh, maybe the process uh, was questionable if it was questionable
0: well here let's see let's hear uh, Lorenzo's second email Lorenzo also says As you know, Italian film is all about dubbing. Italians to this day see all cinema dubbed, with a handful of voice actors playing the parts. They do a good job. We have a better Homer than Dan Castellaneda, I promise you. (laughs) But you will never know this. (laughs) That's great. Um, Why do I bring up dubbing in the context of those action sequences with the upbeat synths, do you ask? Because in many films they were working on whatever budget they had, and they sacrificed these production elements to an aesthetic. So funky jazz in a slasher sequence or bad overdubs, I guess, were secondary to the aesthetic. But I agree with you, Joe. It's probably not an excuse, Lorenzo. Oh, Lorenzo, I don't, I, I didn't mean to to impugn movies that have uh, soundtrack choices that seem strange to me. I love a strange soundtrack choice. Oh um, yeah,
1: the stranger the better. The l- it's the the soundtracks that are not strange. Those are the ones that that
0: can sometimes just piss me off, to be honest. Uh, but I think I see exactly what you're talking about, Lorenzo, with um certain uh, with there being a sort of strain of creative preference in Italian cinema for. Maybe sometimes visual aesthetics uh, over everything else. That like the, the the director might have a certain kind of uh, image in their mind, almost kind of a painting of the way they want the film to look, and th- that's really top priority. Maybe a lot of other creative choices might kind of just take a back seat to that. And mm. I think that's true about a lot of uh, Italian horror movies, especially.
1: Well, this will be this will be a, a conversation to keep in mind and to, to keep having as we inevitably. Come back to the the cinema of Italy on our Weird House Cinema episodes.
0: Oh yeah, I do like him taunting us with the fact that that his Simpsons is better than ours.
1: Uh, this this is fun because I had recently um, I recently played a video game titled Blasphemous, which is which is excellent. And it is—it's uh, a Spanish production, and it—you ha- can choose to have the audio in English or in Spanish. And uh, I was reading about it online with some people talking about there being an apparent, at times, kind of a good-natured rivalry between. Uh, Mexican dubbers and and Spanish dubbers, mm-hmm. like who's do, who does the best job of, of providing voiceovers for for projects, mm-hmm. and uh, so so that was interesting as well. I never really thought about that how you might have some sort of like good natured competition between the dubbers in Spain and the dubbers in Mexico uh, for for different projects.
0: Blasphemous is this the um, the two D side scroller game that looks inspired by the paintings of Goya. It is, yes. Oh, I've been. I saw a, a, a preview of that, I think, a few years back, and I was like, man, I want to play that. That looks like some some real classic witchcraft.
1: Yeah, I put it off for a long time, and then I, I finally bit. I was like, all right, I'm going to give this game a shot. And I'm not really huge into the sort of Castlevania Metroid type, type games. A lot of times yeah. they, they kind of frustrate me. So I expected it to be a game that would visually amuse me for a little bit, and then I would get sick of it because it would be too hard for me as a gamer. Yeah. But uh, I ended up – I stuck with it. it. It was just enthralling, just some wonderful world-building. And, uh, and I think it's challenging, but it never feels cheap. So uh, I, I highly recommend that one. And the, the voice talent. I've listened to parts of it in Spanish and parts of it in English. And in both cases, excellent. There's some wonderful dialogue
0: in there and, uh, and, and s- some very creepy voices. Nice. I just love the idea that somebody essentially made a Goya game. I don't know if that's what they were doing on purpose, but as soon as I looked at yeah. it, that's like, oh, that's what it no, is. No, no. Uh,
1: I believe the creators have pointed that out. They point to specific oh, okay. Goya paintings that were key uh, to this vision, to this world they've created. and and But it also goes beyond that. There's all this just rich stuff that's very uh-huh. – uh, you know, based in, uh, you know, Inquisition and um, yeah. and Catholic guilt. And oh, it just has a very rich and mysterious world that they've built up around this game.
0: All right, well, I'm going to play that and then I'm going to hang on for whoever makes the El Greco game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could be good too. All right, we're going to go ahead and close the mailbag here, but we'd love to hear from you all regarding current episodes, future episodes, past episodes, episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, episodes of Weird House Cinema. It's all fair game. We'll try and do a listener mail every Monday. That's where you can hear it. You'll find it in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed, and you'll find that wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, If you just need to get to us quickly, you can always go to to stufftoblowyourmind.com. That will shoot you over to the iHeart listing for this show. There's going to be a place in there where you can click to go to our store. And just in case you want to check out a T-shirt or a sticker or a tote bag or a phone case or whatever you're looking for, uh, you can get that with our logo on it or some other
0: kind of cool design. Just a little extra in case you're interested.